It's on? Yep. It's on. Dan had to show me about five times how to flick the switch. But I'm there. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Today I'm going to talk about Jesus, funnily yeah. enough, as, as we're in a church, you know. And we want to start by talking about God. You know, we all, we all think about the concept of God, we think about religion quite a lot, and religion is all about us. It's, you'll see it on banners, you see it on buses these days, you see it in tubes. It's all, all over the place. It starts wars, it creates debates, it creates friction, it separates families. Religion is all over the place. And the idea and concept of God is all over the place. I mean, there's many, many of you would have, would have come to know God having not known him before, having maybe brought up into a relation in a, in a family where you hadn't known God, hadn't ever thought about God, and then God broke into your life. Or some, some of you might have been part of another religion, and then you heard about the Christian God, and you thought, cool, that's a little bit different. And some of you here might, have not, might not subscribe to any religion at all. My friend had, um, had like this theory um, in secondary school. He had a theory about um, following God or following different religions is like going up a mountain. So it's like Christians are going up one side of a mountain and Hindus up another, Buddhists up another. You might get some people going up who are following their own ways, their own expectations, their own standards. And they're all going up, they're all fighting their own cause. Maybe they're not even seeing or agreeing with the other people who are going up this mountain. But in the end, they get to the top. Who's at the top? God's at the top. What does that mean? It means every single person, no matter what path they're following, no matter what they believe, they're all getting to God in the end. And he thought that was great. thought that solved it because it meant that you could do what you want, you could follow who you want because in the end, when you die, you're going to meet God. He's going to say, hey, presto, well done. You can have a relationship with me. You can come and be with me for eternity. And he thought that solved the problem of other religions or people's set ways and set standards. Basically, everyone should just get on, love each other, and... Um, life would be fine. Um, Mahatma Gandhi, who lived in the mid-18th to mid-19th century, he was a major political and spiritual leader of India, and he thought exactly the same. He said, For me, the different religions are beautiful flowers from the same garden, or they are branches of the same majestic tree. Therefore, they are equally true. So he believed that every religion was exactly the same. It didn't matter which one you followed, whether you subscribe to God or don't subscribe to God. In the end, you're going to get there in the end. You're going to have this relationship with God. And that's what we should strive for. But so my question here this morning is, do all paths lead to God? Can you follow your own path? Can you follow your own own way? Could you, in theory, just pull something out of a hat and say, okay, I'm going to follow the way of Islam. I'm going to follow the way of Buddhism. I'm going to follow my own set standards. And by doing that, in the end, it will be fine. So that's the question I want to pose at the beginning. And we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at um, a chapter, a section of a chapter in the book of Romans to try and understand what the Bible says about this whether all paths do actually lead to God. So that's going to come up in a little bit. But first I want to tell you something about Romans. Romans was written by a man called Paul. You might know him as the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul. And he wrote to the church in Rome. And he hadn't actually been there before, but he'd heard that the church had started and it started with a few Jews and it had been added to by, by Gentiles who were people who, who weren't Jews. And he was writing to them to really grapple with some issues. Uh, there were some problems in this church. Some severe problems in his church that, that basically the, the Gentiles weren't being accepted by the Jews. Because the Jews thought we're part of God's chosen nation. We're, we're, we're God's chosen people. Who do these people think they are? They can just sort of come up and rock in and say, you know, we know God as well. And they weren't too happy with this. So Paul was, Paul was writing to them to say, no, everyone's included. Everyone counts. And he was trying to iron out some creases, as it were. And one of the main issues he was trying to deal with was the idea of law and the idea of grace. Law being, I'm going to do my set things and set standards in order to reach God. And the idea of grace, God's undeserving love and favour that he pours out on anyone who wants to believe. 
So we're going to read Romans 7, 1 to 6. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. It should. Hey, it has turned up there. So I'll read it out. Um, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Next slide. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. So that's the passage we're looking at this morning. And Paul, first of all, talks about the law. He talks about the idea and the concept of the law. He's writing to people who are, who are understanding the law, who are living by the law. But what is the law? I was looking up some funny laws the other day, and they made me chuckle. I do like to laugh. And um, um, I just want to ask a question. What, who here has ever fired a longbow or a bow and arrow? Quite, quite a few of you. Who's, who's fired one recently? Who's fired one regularly? <laughs> no. Well, actually, women, you're okay here because all the men are actually breaking the law in the UK at the moment. Because once you're at the age of 14, you have to practice for two hours every day of firing a long bow or a bow and arrow. So shame on you, basically. <laughs> it's pathetic. I know there's, there's some pregnant women in the church at the moment or some, some women who have just had children. It's legally stated in the, in the UK that they can relieve themselves anywhere in public. And um, if, they want to, if they want to, they can ask a policeman for his hat to do that in. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I was a woman. <laughs> or, or it's actually specifically stated in, in Alabama that you cannot drive while blindfolded. It's written down in the law. <laughs> you get some ridiculous laws out there, such as in France, it's illegal to call a pig Napoleon. You can't do it. It's still there, they haven't taken it away. Was, was Paul talking about these cultural laws? Was Paul talking about laws that, that different societies have put in place to, to help society run, to help it grow and to help it nourish? Well, Paul wasn't talking about these laws. He wasn't even talking about the Ten Commandments. You might think that, the sort of don't steal, don't commit adultery, you know, honour your father and mother. He wasn't just talking about the Ten Commandments. He was talking about the whole of the Old Testament, the rituals of cleanliness, how to be clean before your God. The rituals of sacrifice, what to sacrifice, how to sacrifice, when to sacrifice. The rituals of food, what to eat and what not to eat. Even the rituals of ethics, how to treat other people. How to treat people who are, who are in your family, people who aren't in your family. Paul was talking about every single part of the law in the Old Testament. He was talking about the instructions that people had to keep and people had to follow in order to gain a relationship with God. In order to be kept into the covenant, the binding, the binding relationship that God gives to his people. But we can open up this law further. Paul was speaking about the things I said that you do to please God, the things you do to gain acceptance from God, the things you do that God will love you more, the things you do so you are kept in a relationship with him. Law is a way of life which makes us right with God. That's what it is. It's something binding. It literally means dominion. It means that it's it's something that lives over you, completely over you, which means you have to live to the set standards and the set rules that it gives. But it doesn't just apply to Judaism. After all, 
I presume most people here aren't Jews. I'm certainly not a Jew. So, so what does it mean if, we, if, we, if, if he's just writing to Jews? Can we understand this? We can understand it because he's writing to everyone. He's writing to every single person because everyone has their own set rules, their own set ways of living. They might, have, they might um, adhere to a certain religion and they have the rules of that religion. And they might have their own set expectations and their own set way of life. And we can have a look at a few of these. How about Islam? It's quite straightforward enough. First of all, you've got, to, you've got to adhere to the five pillars of Islam. And you might have heard of these. You've got to testify there is none worthy of worship except God. And at the same time, recognise that Muhammad is the messenger of God. You've got to take part in ritual prayer, where you, where you pray five times a day, and you often quote verses from the Quran and you cite it in Arabic. You've got to give to the poor. You've got to fast during Ramadan. So during the season of Ramadan, between the time the sun rises and the sun sets, you can't eat or drink anything. And you've got to be very mindful of sinful activity. And lastly, you've got, to visit, you've got to visit Mecca at least once in your lifetime. So that's the law of Islam, the things you have to do, the things you have to follow. But crucially, Islam, in the Quran, it doesn't state that people are inherently evil. It states that people are actually quite good. And human, mankind is actually a good thing. And if you work hard, if you do good, if you try and do the things you're supposed to do, then hey presto, you will have this relationship with God when you die. But it's all about weighing, weighing your deeds, basically. So when you die, it's like, it's like a scale. So your good deeds compared to your bad deeds. So they might think, okay, I did, I, I did pray five times a day. I did fast during Ramadan. I didn't, didn't visit Mecca. So it's sort of, oh, which, which one? You know, which means more than which? We don't quite know. Or... Um, or, or they, might have, they might have not loved their neighbour completely and wholeheartedly. They might have done some other good stuff. So by the time they die, it's like they're put on scales, and if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, fantastic. You have this relationship with God, you're in. The bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, bit, bit of an issue. Issue meaning you're not going to have this relationship with God that you're striving for. Now, the, the main thing about Islam is that you cannot know about your salvation before you die. You can strive, you can seek the law, you can, you can try and build, go up those steps to try and reach the standard, but in the end you will never know whether you have this relationship with God. You're never going to know if you're saved. Even Muhammad himself, many people believe that he was sinless. The Quran doesn't state he was sinless. Even the messenger of God did not know whether he would be, able, he'd be saved when he died. That's the law of Islam. How about Buddhism? Incredibly popular these days. It offers peace, offers tranquility, it's quite idealistic. I mean, you don't have to... Don't, it's not a corporal thing. You can sort of go your own way. You don't have to go with the masses. You can, you can go and enjoy life a bit more in a different kind of way. I and mean, people love that. The core teachings of, the, of Buddha seem to, seem to be that you need to escape the endless cycle of birth, death, rebirth. So you're born and you live your life and then you're born again, reincarnated into someone else. And they want to escape that. They want to reach nirvana, which is their ultimate goal, when they're no longer in this endless cycle of birth, death and rebirth. So how do they do this? They're told to meditate, they're told to study, they're told to renounce worldly affairs. Things like greed, pride, lust, get rid of that, don't, don't pursue that. Instead, pursue a life of excessive love, love everyone and love everything. And also, pursue, pursue a, a life where you don't take part in any suffering. You just want to totally release suffering, get rid of it in all situations. If you do that, then hopefully you'll make it. Hopefully you'll get out of this endless cycle. But crucially, most Buddhists don't believe they can actually do this. They don't believe they can actually reach the standards that are set. So they do, they do certain things like don't drink, don't steal, don't commit adultery. They've got their set rules. But they're, they're trying to live a life that's pretty good. So they're reincarnated into someone who's better. And they're reincarnated into someone who's better. Then hopefully after many, many, many lifetimes, they'll be reincarnated into someone who might be good enough 
to escape the endless cycle of birth, death and rebirth. That's the law of Buddhism. Just like Islam, it's through hard work and no one else that enables you to reap the rewards of your actions. How about Christianity? Doesn't get away with it either, sadly. People seem to create a law for themselves. If I, if I read my Bible, you know, if I, if I know this off by heart, cover to cover, God will love me more. God will accept me more. God will bring me into a relationship more. God will say, I'm for you, if I know it. If I know it, if I can quote everything. God will love me more. It's good to, good to know your Bible, but it doesn't make God love you more. How about if I give to the church? Of course it's good to give to the church. If I give all my money, then God will love me more. How about that? How about if I just attend? If my attendance is good, I come to church... Bible studies, I go to the prayer meetings. How about that? It's like I, I die and the holy register's there and God says, 90%, well done, you're in. Fantastic, you're in. You have this relationship with me. That's not quite how it works. In the same way some people compare themselves to others, it's, it's a comparison thing. So they'll come to church and they'll think, that guy, that girl can do something that I would love to do. And if I could do what they're doing, then maybe God will accept me more. Maybe God will, will love me more. I mean... I stand at church and I see Andy playing the guitar. And I can't play the guitar. I mean, I'm musically talented. I know it's an R. I'm, I'm, I'm musically talentless. I live with him for crying out loud. He's tried to teach me a few chords. I don't call them major and minor. I call them happy and sad. Um, <laughs> and I tried to do it the other day. I tried to do it yesterday. Couldn't remember any. Couldn't remember any. I just, just can't do it. I, can't off, I, cannot, I could not be here and play the guitar. I couldn't offer that. How about PA? What's PA? It's like the desk at the back where they sort out all the, the music and stuff, that kind of stuff. And, and when, I, when I first joined this church, I was put on the PA rotor. And I was strictly told that you'll be able to learn, you'll be able to understand it. And no one's actually taken off rotors in this church. Once you're joined, you can learn and you can grow and you can train others. And it's great, it's great. Two weeks later, I'm taken off the PA rotor. <laughs> I... I mean, and it's just, I just can't do it. Technology is terrible. I just can't work it out. I can't, you know, so some people can do PA, fantastic. But I can't. Does that mean I can't offer to God what they're offering to God? The bottom line is, whatever you offer God in the first place is because you've, God has given it to you. Anything you give to him, God has given you. That's his grace. That's his love. That's his mercy on your life. It's pathetic that Christianity, just like religions like Islam, they're exactly the same. They're exactly the same, but it's just under a different name for some people. Even people who do not believe in a God seem to hedge their bets. If I'm a good person, don't believe in God, but if I'm a good person, and I die, and there is a God, he'll say, well done, you packed bags in Sainsbury's. Well done, you did these amazing things. You can have a relationship with me. You can can be drawn into this relationship. So they hedge their bets. I'm going to be a good person anyway, and hopefully, if there is a God, that would be sorted. That would be sorted. People like to live like that. You see, the law reminds me of packed lunches in primary school. I know it sounds a bit strange, but you'll understand. Um, we used to have these terrifying dinner ladies. Really scary. And when you're a little kid, I mean, these are big dinner ladies. And um, so, so it was just so scary. In a typical packed lunch, you'd have like sandwich, fruit and chocolate bar. And I didn't care about the sandwich. I didn't care about the fruit. I wanted the chocolate bar. I used to tell my mum this. She never quite gave me a whole packed lunch of chocolate. I don't understand. I should ask her about that. But the thing is, thing is, so you'd sit there and you'd have to eat your sandwich, you'd have to eat your fruit before you got to the chocolate bar. They had the power to do this. It was terrifying. In fact, if you didn't eat your sandwich and your fruit, you would not get your chocolate bar, which was traumatising. So I would grit my teeth and I'd be like, okay, get through the sandwich, get through the fruit. Oh, it's the chocolate. It's the best bit. And that's what the law's like. It's like, you know, if you do this, if you pray, if you read your Bible, 
if you visit Mecca, if, you, if you're good to your neighbour, if you give to the poor, then hopefully one day you'll get the bit that you actually want. You'll get salvation. You'll get the relationship with God. You'll get, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get that relationship. You'll get everything from him that you've ever wanted. That's what, that's what it's like. But the Christian God isn't like this. He says, okay, we'll put the sandwich aside, we'll put the fruit aside, and we'll give you the chocolate bar straight away. That's my kind of God. That's definitely my kind of God. I'll, I'll give you the thing you want. What do you want? You want that relationship? I will make sure you have that relationship. I'll give you security. I'll take away, take away any condemnation. I'll make you feel happy because you're in me. That's what this God's like. That's what the Christian God is like. And Paul shows this by an illustration of marriage. You see, it's simple enough to think of the idea of marriage. It's a beautiful thing. It's given by God. It's a union created under a covenant. It's a promise to stay together at all costs. And we're going to illustrate that this, that this morning as we're in a theatre. So I need a wife, I need a husband, and I need a lover. Not me, myself, but for the use of the illustration. So one girl and two guys. Dave Morris, you're definitely one of the guys because you are an actor. So um, I, need, I need another girl. Yeah, I need another girl and another guy for a bit another of an illustration. Girl. Sorry, not another girl. A girl and a guy. So I need some volunteers. Don't all jump at once. I've got a couple of hours. So. I can pick. Yeah, we've got another guy. Come on, come on. Okay, if I, if I said that the girl will get to hold hands of Andy Kite during this illustration, <laughs> and I will promise that's the case, come on, surely, surely that... Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> okay. Okay, so if I can have Andy standing there and Mary here and Dave here. Okay, so we're going to read through this marriage illustration and we're going to act it out a little bit. Okay, so <laughs> it says, Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. Okay, so this, this strapping guy is a husband. This is the married woman of the husband. And this is the lover. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so you're married. What do married people do? They hold hands, don't they? That's the only way we know people are married these days. So, so these people, they're married, they're holding hands, they're in a covenant, they're in a relationship. It's secure. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So the law of marriage is now broken. Husband has died. What happens when it... Yeah, that's it. Husband has died. I didn't tell him to do that either. No. <laughs> No, 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 you're still there. Still, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm dead. Yeah, dead people can't get up and walk away. You're gone. Okay, so you're on the floor. You're dead, Andy. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so her husband has died. But if her husband... Okay, accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. So husband, you're actually alive. So get back up. You're still married. So join hands. But the wife likes another guy. And, 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 there, and she starts to join hands with this other guy. Ooh. It's what the Bible calls an adulteress. See, we don't like the fact that if, if a woman holds hands with two guys, just think it's a bit weird, it's a bit wrong. Continue holding hands, that's good. Yeah. So that's not right. The Bible points out that this isn't right, that the wife cannot be joined on to two guys. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Sorry, husband, you're dead. Okay, so the husband is dead. That relationship, once again, has fallen and has broken apart. Therefore, the wife and the lover are able to join. They're able to be in a relationship together. And they can go off and live their lives happily ever after. Thank you very much, guys. I will need you back later. But, um, that's the illustration that Paul uses. The woman has no right to leave her husband 
unless he is dead. By law, she must be faithful. She must stay with him. My first point for you this morning is that, Christian, you have died. The Bible says we are the ones who must die in order to grab hold of what God has for us. Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus dying on a cross and rising again means that your, own, your old self, your set standards, your set ways, your religion has been dealt with. If you're joined to a law here this morning, if you're seeking something of God, then you will not be saved. You will not be involved in these promises. You will never get to what you're striving for. Because the Bible says you need to die. You need to die to your old self. You see, it's the futility of man to earn salvation. It's a pointless, worthless task. That's the difference between law and grace. If you're a Muslim, you can try and improve yourself to please your God. If you're a Buddhist, you can try and better yourself to achieve your end. If you're a Jew, you can try and make yourself holy. If you don't subscribe to religion, you can try and make yourself as good as you can possibly be. But in the end, all of that brings destruction and it brings death. The law has to be let go. It's about God's grace. It's about God's love. God's love that he pours out, which is undeserving. It's about saying that we don't deserve, that breaks down barriers, breaks down divisions, that brings people together, that is for every single person. Letting go of the law can be painful. The Bible instructs us to to let go of what we've always known, let go of what we've always been striving for. It tells us to throw our dependence upon God. It tells us to admit that we don't have what it takes to match up to the law, match up to the standards. It actually says we need to admit that we need a saviour, which means we need rescuing. If you're striving after the law, whether you're of any faith, if you're claiming that your own actions can in some way influence God, can prove your worth to him, you're actually saying that you, the created, are on the same level as God, the creator. What's that? It's to say, okay, God's here. And you're saying, okay, if I do this and I do this and I do this and do this, I'm on the same level as God. There is no way you're on the same level as God. There is no way by anything you can ever do that you'll be able to wrestle yourself up into the same level playing field with God. God's the creator. We're the created. So what does that mean? Firstly, Christian, you have died. But secondly, my second point, Christian, you belong to Christ. You belong to someone else. And this is where it gets exciting. I need my my wife, husband, and lover back up, if that's okay. This is the good bit. Really good bit. So same positions. Fantastic. Okay, so it's a bit different now. Paul used the illustration, but it changes. So the husband is now the law. The wife is the Christian, and the lover is Jesus. Okay, so Dave Morris is Jesus today. Wait. (laughs) Okay, so how does it go? I'll read verse 4 for you. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, so this is how it goes. So, So... This is the story of a Christian, basically, how someone becomes a Christian. So, Mary, as a believer, or as you're joined hands to the law, okay? So, as as everyone is joined to the law, everyone is born under law, everyone has their own set standards, their own ways, even if they don't subscribe to religion. Problem is, in the illustration, the husband died, but the law cannot die. You see, God is eternal, God is constant. And what what God plans and what God has for us cannot die, cannot fall apart. And he planned the law. He has the law for us. The law is constant, which means the law cannot die. The law in itself is good. It's just that we cannot meet up to the expectations the law gives. So Andy, you no longer have to fall down because you cannot die. But what does that mean? 
it means that Mary has to die. Because Mary, Mary she, to be separated from the law, she has to die. So Mary, do you mind dying? Yeah, <laughs> like, like a flower. Okay, so the believer is dead now. The law stays there, doesn't run away. The believer is dead. So what happens now? Well, Jesus comes into the, into the scene. Now Jesus, he, um, God realised there was a problem. He realised that man had to be separated from the law. And Jesus is the solution. Jesus came to earth as man, God in man, and, he, and he, he lived a wonderful life, and he lived a life with no sin, so that he was able to die on a cross. So Jesus, do you want to die as well? Wonderful. Okay, so, so, so Jesus died. Jesus came to earth and he died. But wonderfully, three days later, Jesus rose again. So Jesus rose again three days later. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And what does that mean? It means he can physically haul up the believer. I want you to haul. No, 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 no. Get back down. You don't move your arms because you're dead. You're dead. You can't, you can't in any way strive up. If you put your arms up, it's like, oh, oh, I can read my Bible more. I can pray more. It's not like that. You can't do anything. You're dead. So I want you to pull her up. Go on. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Okay. So, and you, and you can join hands because you're now in a relationship. Where does that leave the law? Well, Andy, if you want to come around here. Stand next to Jesus. Jesus, do you want to put your arm around Andy? Or the Lord? Okay, so Jesus, having raised from the dead, having come back to life, has conquered the law, has fulfilled the law, has swallowed the law up. Meaning he can be in a relationship with a believer and he's dealt with the law. And therefore the problem has been solved. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Well done, Dave. Thank you very much, guys. If you want to go back. To be a Christian involves a death and a rising. In other words, to be a Christian means to undergo the most profoundest change that you can ever go through. If you're not ready to die, then you're not ready to live. The Bible tells us to join on to Christ. It says that Christ is the true husband. And just like a husband and a wife become one flesh, the believer and Christ become one flesh. They're joined. How glorious. You even take the name of Christ. You're a Christian. The name that we see every knee bow to him, every tongue confess, that's the name that you've got as a believer. You take on his name because he's your husband. If you're a Christian here, then you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To live under the law as a believer is committing adultery. You're holding on to two hands. You cannot hold on to two hands. You're committing adultery. The law in itself is good. But it only, it's only good because it points to the fact that we can never do it ourselves. It points to the fact that we can't live up to the standards. We can't pull ourselves up. We need to let go. We need to die to the law. We need to die to our old self. It's the futility of man to strive after something that you cannot strive after. But some of you might ask, what if I die again? You know, I've already died to the law. What if I die to Jesus? What if, what if Jesus dies to me? Is this relationship that he has given me, is it secure? Is it foundational? Is it something that he's always got for me? Can I be 100% sure that my relationship with Jesus will not fail? Well, you can be 100% sure. In the Bible, it deals with Jesus. It says that Jesus um, has dominion over death because he's been raised from the dead. Because he's conquered sin, because he's conquered death. He's not going to die. Jesus cannot die because he's been raised from the dead. How about us? Because we have died to the law, because we've dealt with the law, the law has the power to subscribe death. So we've said no to the law. We've died to it. So because we said goodbye to the law, we cannot die. So hang on, we can't die, Jesus can't die. We're joined to Jesus. What does that mean? As a Christian, you are joined to Jesus for eternity. You are married to Christ forever. You can categorically proclaim that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Paul states we should be joined to Christ to bear fruit. 
Truth's good. In verse 5, though, it's a bit scary. It says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were working our members to bear fruit for death. Not for life, but for death. So hang on. Can, can you only bear fruit if you're joined to Jesus Christ? What if I'm just a good person? What if, I, what if I give money to the poor? What if I care about people? What if I'm really good to my mum and dad? What if, I, what if I don't commit adultery, don't get drunk every night, don't do drugs? Will God still love me. God still pleased with me. Well, the Bible says he's not. The Bible says he's not pleased with you because you are not in him. You see, the law is good, and by following Jesus, we uphold the law, but the law cannot save. Only God's grace can save. Nothing you can ever do can bring you into a relationship with God. God does that for you. There's an intrinsic link between the law and sin. The law highlights sin, but it doesn't take it away. It points to a moral standard. It sets the bar line, and you've got to reach it. The problem is we can't reach it. If we chase after God for our own works, you are sinning. You're sinning by chasing after God for your own works. Not only does the law or your own works, your own standards illuminate your, own, your, your terrible ways, but it actually keeps you in a constant cycle of barrenness, in a constant cycle of sin. And the devil loves you to be in a constant cycle of sin. It loves you to be striving after God in the, through the wrong way. It loves that. He loves that. Because you're, you're, just, you're just playing into his hands because he knows you can never make it. Have any of you ever tried texting while wearing oven gloves? It's weird. It's weird because oven gloves, you're meant to take stuff out of the oven with oven gloves. You're not meant to text with oven gloves because oven gloves tend to disable the thumbs a little bit. So if you ever, if you ever try it, it doesn't work. You probably can't send it to the right person. You probably can't write what you're supposed to be writing. People treat the law as if you're wearing, they're wearing oven gloves while texting. But people think the law will save them. That's what they think. The law will get me there. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to point to the fact that you need a saviour. It's to point to the fact that you need help. It's to point to the fact that this isn't hurdles and and hoops for you to jump through or jump over for your self-achievement. It's to say that you need God. That's who you need. We are only able to live according to the law and therefore produce fruit because Christ died for us and rose again. The only way we can do this is by being bound to him, married to him, incorporated in him. And it's his power working in us and in through us that enables us to fulfill the righteousness of the law. The law is meant to lift our eyes to Jesus. The law upholds God's sovereignty. Because it says God's the only one who can do it. It doesn't take anything away. It lifts him up to where he belongs. Ultimately, living by the law is living for yourself. And by getting rid of the law, you're, you're actually getting rid of the fact that you're saying, I can do it myself. It's all about me. It's about how I live, how I, how I do certain things. It's not about how you live. It's about God's nature and how he has done something for you. If someone has, has not been joined to Christ, has not got the spirit limb within them, they cannot glorify God. They cannot please God. In the book of Isaiah, it says everything you have to offer is like filthy rags. You wouldn't even give a filthy rag to your friend. They'd throw it away. So every good deed, every good thing, if you're not in Jesus Christ, if the Spirit is not inside of you, God's saying, I don't want that. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's disgusting. It's disgusting because you're not incorporated in Jesus Christ. Christianity is Christ. He is central. He is vital. He is all in all. It does not matter how good a life may be, how moral you may appear to be. If it is not entirely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, it is not Christianity. The law is impotent. There's no life in the law. It's sterile. 
by not accepting God's grace and focusing on the law, you'll be in a constant cycle of sin and barrenness. That's it. You're never going to get there. You're never going to know God. You're never going to know salvation. You're never going to know the joy that he brings. But there's good news. It's great news. As I said, as a Christian, you died. As a Christian, you're joined to Jesus Christ. Having produced fruit for death, that no longer happens. Because point three, Christian, you exist to bear fruit for God. Verse five. I think. I've read verse five. Not verse five. Okay, so Christian, you exist to bear fruit for God. The Bible talks about fruit. The Bible talks in, in Galatians 5, it talks about the, um, the fruit of the Spirit, and you might have heard of this. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It talks about these, this fruit that is produced inside of you if you're joined to Christ. If the Holy Spirit is living within you, which the Holy Spirit is if you're joined to Christ. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is living within you. So if that is the case, then this fruit will appear. Not just this salvation, I want to see people saved. Healing, I want to see people healed. Release on spiritual oppression. I want to see people where the chains are released and they're set free for Jesus Christ. This is fruit. And this fruit will appear if you're in Jesus Christ. Spurgeon, a famous preacher, speaks of celestial fruits on earthly ground. It's like believers are literally impregnated by God. Jesus said that he's the true vine. And in a way, Paul describes this as if you're snapping off a, du- a branch from a dying tree and you graft it into a new tree. So just like a vine, if it's planted in soil and the roots are deep and it sucks up nutrients, sucks up water, that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branch. So it means the supernatural, divine glories of Jesus Christ, of God, will feed into you because you are joined to him. How do you know what, t- what's, what a tree is? What type of tr- tree a tree is? You know because of the fruit that it produces. You will produce fruit because you are in Jesus Christ. The supernatural glories of Christ will blossom in you. It's a a certainty. There's a virility of Christ. He's potent. He's effective in what he does. It's not a question of will life come? Will I produce some fruit? You know, if I do this and do this, hopefully God will produce this fruit in me. No, it's a guarantee. It's 100%. If you're a believer... If you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will produce fruit. You will glorify God. He has a purpose for you. It's certain. It will definitely happen. You will blossom. You will grow and blossom for God. He will look at you and think, wow. Wow. Verse 6, this is where I'm going to conclude. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. I want to urge you, don't serve under the old written code. Whether it's the Ten Commandments, the Five Pillars, the Steps to Nirvana, or your own standards, accept the life of the Spirit. Accept the grace of God, his love. Experience the good stuff, because everyone is included. It's not just for certain people, it's for everyone, every race, from every nation, of every tongue. It's for everyone of all time. That's what Jesus has done. He's included everyone. It's God who writes on our hearts, not us. It's God who pursues us. It's God who saves us. It's God who provides for us. If you've taken Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you said, I believe in you, then he has written on your heart. It's like you've been scarred for him. That scar cannot be taken away. It's wonderful. Remember, if you're a Christian, you have died, you belong to another, and you exist to bear fruit. It will happen. We're going to take communion in a bit. I'm going to pray and take communion. And what is communion? It's or bread and wine, whichever way you want to call it. And um, Jesus, while he was on earth, he had some bread 
and they had some wine. And he said, take this bread, remember my body. Take this wine, remember my blood. And he said, he's basically saying to his disciples, remember what I've done for you. Remember the fact that I came to earth when I didn't have to. Remember the fact that I died when I didn't deserve to. Remember the fact that I did that for you and totally for you. And we do that today. We do that as much as possible to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. When it comes, when, it, when we get that opportunity, when the time comes when we take the bread, take the wine, if you're a believer here, I want you to take it, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice that because of Jesus, you've died to the law and you're joined to him. Because of Jesus, you're producing fruit. And it's a promise. I want you to thank him. Some of you here today might never have taken bread and wine. You might never have had that opportunity. Or you might never have felt that you need to. But I feel there's people here today that, that God's doing a work in their heart. That God is drawing them in. That you're realising this morning that it's not your own set standards that count. It's not different religions that count. It's God that counts. It's what he's done that counts. If that is you, if that is you, I want to urge you, come forward and take the bread and wine. Come forward and say, Jesus, I don't understand you all. But I'm like, I don't understand him all. I don't understand there is everything to know. I haven't ticked every theological box. But I know he loves me. I know he died for me. And I know because he died for me, I can have a relationship with him, and it is good. So I want to urge you, I really want to just urge you, come forward and take that bread and wine and give yourself to him. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you love us unconditionally. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. Lord, I want to say I believe in you. We believe in you. Lord God, I thank you that because of you, we no longer have to live to the set standards and set rules, set guidelines. We don't have to strive for ourselves, Lord God, because you've done that for us. I thank you that we are joined to you for eternity. I thank you that no longer do I have to worry or feel condemned. We are joined to you for eternity. And I thank you that if we are believers in you, we will produce fruit and fruit that will glorify you. I thank you that because we live today in you, we can please you. And there is nothing I want to do more than please you. Lord, we thank you this morning. We want to worship you. Amen.